Okay. Um, so, what I um, what I want to do today is I want to start. I want to start by going through what I think is an outline of the issues. Uh, I want to thank Dove for uh, pushing me um, to try and if we're gonna if we're gonna uh, sum up um, tomorrow, which is my ideal, um, that we sh should get to more of what I think and not just presentation of previous positions. So I'm going to start by by outlining what I see as the cases and issues one has to answer without giving you my answers to them. Then, uh, somewhat ambitiously, I'm hoping we're going to get through, um, I guess, through Rosh Sternbuch and Shuvat HaHagot and the Tzitzel and the Shevet HaLevi and the Enrim Nasha Klein today. We'll see if we can pull all that off. Uh, all right, four different, uh, four different Shuvat, picking out just their highlight lines to see um, what they say, what, they, what our arguments they add, and then assuming that we pull that off, which is probably highly optimistic, then tomorrow, um, best case scenario, we'll discuss my own position in the context of Rav Asher Weiss and Rav Herschel Schechter's. Um, I think those are the, the, those are the two major uh, public vote, plus uh, Rabbi Jason Weiner. Okay, we'll see if we pull it off. So here's what, here's what I see as the issues. First of all, there are five different kinds of timing um, issues that relate to the triage question. One is when the patients come in simultaneously. Uh, the second is that when they came in consecutively, but they're both currently in front of you. And if we're dealing with a specific case of ventilation, the way I set it up, so not right. So it's as if they came in simultaneously from um, from your perspective, because nothing has been done to either of them. But it happens that you know that one of them came in first. Okay. Then there's a case where where uh, they come in, they come in. Um, consecutively, and the second one isn't here yet, but you know who the second one is going to be. All right, then the next case is, you don't know who the second one's going to be, you just have a prediction, a, a well-grounded statistical prediction, that is the second person will arrive shortly. And then the third is that you have a, um, the third is that you have a, um, that, you, that they, come, they come in consecutively, and that um, and that you know um, and that and that one of them has been ventilated before the other start. Okay, so those are right. Those are five kinds of time situations. Um, right, the first is that they arrive simultaneously. That's sort of an, you know, an ideal, in a, in a uh, you know in a, 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 a ideal hypothetical. Um, then, assuming that they show up one after the other, so you have four different variations. One is, but they both show up before you do anything. The other is that one of them has not yet shown up, uh, you, and you haven't done anything, but you know who we know who it will be. The next is that the other person hasn't yet shown up, and you don't know who it will be. You just know statistically that it's likely to be somebody else. And the last one is when you the first patient comes up and is treated, and then the um, right, and then the second patient arrives, and then we should really we could really divide that is in the second pa when when the second patient arrives. Is the second patient anticipated or not anticipated, and are they anticipated specifically or are they anticipated statistically? That we could we could subdivide that as well. But I don't believe it's going to make very much difference. Okay, then what kind of conditions are the patient in? So the um, the first condition that matters is right. If you have two patients, right? These are, these are all going to be comparatives between the two patients. So the so the conditions are one of them is more likely than the other to die without ventilation. Um, the second is that one of them is more likely than the other to survive with, uh, to, sorry, one of them is more likely than the other to die without ventilation. And the second is one of them is more, is more likely to survive than the other with ventilation, right? Those are not the same case. Um, 
Then there's a question beyond survival as to which of them has greater life expectancy uh, with ventilation. Um, uh, um, okay, here, an interesting question whether medication is the same as ventilation, uh, which I'm not going to talk about today, but maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow uh, if, there's, if there's a shortage of, of, uh, of medication as opposed to ventilators. Um, okay, then there's a um, distinction between one of the patients has chay sha'ah and one of them has chay olam. Those are technical terms, but in addition to those, um, in addition to those being technical terms, we have to uh, right, that mean they're not really defined. And then we have two other technical terms, right? One of them is a ghost ace, one of them is not a ghost ace, one of them is a trefa, and one of them is not a trefa. And each of the some of these categories may overlap. In other words, you could define that anybody who is a, anybody who is either a ghost ace or a trefa only has chay sha'ah. But that wouldn't necesarily mean that everybody with chayesha, who only has chayesha is either a gosis or a trefa. Somebody can be both a gosis and a trefa, right? So all, the, all those terms need to be defined and they're different conditions. Okay, then we get to the questions. Okay, here's what I see as, uh, as of now, I think as the 17 questions, we should, I think it's right, 17, that we have to answer uh, in order to, uh, to, to develop uh, a halachic approach to, um, to triage. One is, does the mission at the end of Horios, which says men come before women and come before Levim, does it have any effect on priority in our kinds of cases? And it doesn't, the, the answer, no, is just about consensus. We'll see, not entirely, but just about consensus. But why it doesn't have uh, matters a great deal, because if you think it's only pragmatically, it doesn't have um, a direct effect. So it may very well have subsidiary effects because it teaches us um, that certain kinds of prioritizations are legitimate, even if we don't carry them out in practice. Also, for the purposes of an ethical argument, as opposed to a pragmatic argument, so long as that Mishnah exists and has influence, so you can't make a um, you can't make an honest ethical argument uh, about um, about the Jewish position that doesn't account for it. And my whole goal is to make an ethical argument and not only an internal halachic argument. Okay, then um, why and when can't one kill someone else either actively or passively, right? So that really divides into four questions uh, to save your own life. Okay, um, and the why again is going to matter uh, to me as much as the when. Okay, why or, or when can you decide that your life precedes your brother's, which is not necessarily the same question as killing somebody else. It could be that's limited to cases where you fail to save somebody else. And obviously an ongoing issue is going to be the boundary between killing and saving and not saving. Okay, four is, why, when must one kill a fetus to save its mother? Um, so that's the mission in Ohalot. And you might think that it's, uh, it's obvious that you always must kill the fetus to save its mother, but not all achronim necessarily uh, take it that way. Um, because uh, if you, once, you, once the Rambam introduces the category of Rodev, so then that allows a debate about what happens, what happens if it's in a situation which you can't plausibly view as Rodev. Um, let's say, for example, right? For example, the, the standard case we're talking about is where the fetus will kill the mother um, because it's a breech birth, and there's a right, and they didn't have a way of turning it, and that will. And in those days, certainly, that would have killed the mother um, through loss of blood. But what happens if instead you have a case where the only way, and this is unfortunately a not uncommon case nowadays, where the mother is diagnosed with cancer, and the chemo that will save her will kill, will, right? Will kill the fetus. So are you allowed to do that or not? If your if your ground is rodeo in the Rambam, um, so that's a challenge to you know. Since I like that, the interpretation that makes rodeo uh, critical to that. So that's a that's a, a deep. And if you have an if you have an ethical instinct that it must be legitimate 
to give the mother a chemo, even if that kills the fetus. So then that's a real challenge uh, to my position. And so, so the uh, when matters, and the when is a function of why. Okay, may one kill a trait for the save a shelling? Right, so we have seen already that's a machloket um, between the um, the Noda Behuda and the Minchas Kunach, among others, and I should really change that to um, to uh, to, parent, to parentheses uh, when, because some people argue in some cases, in some cases, in some cases not. So even if you say they may, you still have to answer when. Okay, may you, uh, may one steal to save a life, even if the theft cannot be repaid. Um, and so we'll see the consensus among most people is that um, one can steal to save a life, although there is a famous trivial Sion that perhaps argues otherwise. But if the theft cannot be repaid, that's a much harder um, question. Do patients acquire a right to continue treatment once treatment has begun? Is the whole notion of a sake b'mitzvah, patur mitzvah, tethering the doctor to a particular patient, um, does that have any, does that have any, um, does, that, does that have relevance, does it tether a doctor to a particular patient? Is the category cholel which we'll discuss in more depth as we go through it, uh, meaning there's a distinction between the patient who is actually in front of you and patients that you know exist, either actually or actuarially, um, right, so this is so that distinction, which is invent, which is um, developed in the context of Chilol Shabbos, is that relevant at all today? And even if it's relevant for the purpose of Chilol Shabbos, is it relevant to cases? Right, does the same distinction exist in the context of triage? Uh, question ten is: When do actuarial considerations affect pikuach nefesh decisions? Even I should qualify: Even when the actuarial decisions would be different than those you would make if you limited the if you limited the uh, the calculation to those patients who currently, um, either who, cu- who currently have direct knowledge of or whom currently exist in the world as opposed to actuarial considerations which relate to either people who aren't yet patients or people who are not yet born. Um, okay, is removal of ventilator killing if the patient will probably or possibly die immediately and then depends when, right, or within chayesha'a without first recovering? Um, when and why? Um, when and why is hasarat munea? Um, um, let's see. Let's see. How about I should probably put in chayesha and I should probably put in eventually as a third option without first recovering. When and why is hasarat munea permitted? Right, that's the Ramaz case. Is death ever better than life? Better than life for a patient? And if yes, how is that condition diagnosed? And what halachic implications does it have? Because you can say death is sometimes better than life. And yet the only thing you permit is hasarat monea in the weirdest kinds of cases, right? So, that, so even ruling that the category exists doesn't tell you what the halachic implications are. All right, as we mentioned above, we have to define the terms chayesha, gosis, and trefa. Uh, a question that a number of people have raised um, is how much halachic confidence should we have in medical prognoses of life expectancy uh, if we're dealing with categories like chayesha and chayeolam, so those are, right, so chayesha particularly, Particularly if we right, if we define that by by um, expectation in terms of a certain amount of time, so that is a um, right. So that requires confidence in the prognosis. Similarly, if um, if we're if we're going to say that we can remove a ventilator from a patient if the ventilator is no longer worth uh, purposeful, um, no longer has a purpose in the sense that uh, Rashlama Zalman used it. So right, that's a medical prognosis. How much confidence do we have in that? Um, okay, what degree of deference may or must one show to hospital policy, and for what reasons? And with regard to all these questions, and this is an issue which has really not been raised and won't be raised by any of the true vote we read, it is raised by Rav Usher Weiss, and I think it's very important. 
With regard to all these questions, are the rules for healthcare professionals different than for everyone than for everyone else? And if yes, when and why? Um, okay, that I think is an is an important consideration, and there are um, there are pragmatic reasons for it. But the the deepest version of it is: Are there uh, is there some kind of notion that doctors um, and, and halacha should uh, allow or encourage doctors to function within the ethics of their profession? Um, right? Does, does the ethics of their profession have some kind of leaning? Uh oh. Uh, okay, is there, I'm hoping people are still hearing me. I'll just check, um, check that quickly because I see this a private note that, uh, a private note that, um, that someone can't hear me, but I see that everyone is still in. So I'm assuming everyone can. Okay, if you can't hear me, then please, please message now. Um, uh-oh. Wait, so if I can't yeah. hear you, I I didn't know. That's okay. Good. You can hear me. Thank you. I just got a private message saying someone couldn't hear me. So I'm just checking. Okay. Thank you, Dove. Um, okay. Um, okay. So now that's those are the those are the um, se- those are the 17 uh, questions that I have. Uh, all right, Dr. Shoretz, correctly that um, that I didn't put in for most of these questions. I didn't put in the distinction between. Uh, yourself and second and third parties, but those right and choosing choosing among third parties. But we should ask uh, we should ask that question. You know, all these variables, right? We should distinguish between uh, your act, the, the right of a the right of one of the parties and the right of a third party, and see see and see if they're different or not. Okay, so let's um, go now to the right. So all of the all of the true vote we're doing today, uh, essentially, right? They're all from people who. Um, receives a version of the question from South Africa that, Stern, that was originally sent to Sternbuchs. So we're going to start with Sternbuchs reply. We're going to do the Sitz Eliezer, the Shevet Levi, and um, Rav Menashe Klein. Um, we should be aware, though, that the Sitz Eliezer has three treatments of the question. One is a, a direct response to Sternbuch. The second is a public address sometime later in which he expands on the tshuva he wrote to, to Rabbi Sternbuch, but although, although reaching the same conclusion. And then he has a third question from um, Dr. Um, Avraham Avraham that um, where which is a framed as an abstract question, which is how much does one have to sacrifice in order to avoid violating the prohibition against uh, the prohibition against not saving somebody else? And Rabbi Klein also has a number of responses to the issue in uh, different contexts. Only one of them is Rabbi Sternbuch. We're gonna largely conflate all of those as opposed to the analysis of Shlomo Zalman, uh, where you know, we spent a great deal of time trying to figure out exactly what, the, exactly what question he was responding to. And I think it made a difference. In these cases, it's not obvious that he makes a difference and I'm mostly mining them for their arguments. Okay, so we're gonna do a Sternbuch um, really as an attempt to do the excerpts in a way that present the flow of his position. So you can understand, because everyone else has his position and they're responding to it, uh, I believe. And then, um, and then we'll do excerpts from the Tzitzel Yezer, the Shevet Levi, and Rabbi Klein. So here's the Shavuot Nagos. He says, uh, according to the first line is, um, if you take the, the 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 claim that the reason you can't kill someone else to save yourself is Ein Ma'abdin Nefesh B'Pei Nefesh, or Ein Dochin Nefesh B'Pei Nefesh, he has the language Ma'abdin, Im Kain Lefize Trefash Eino Afilu Miksas Nefesh, 
So therefore, a trefa doesn't qualify as a nefesh. So then why can't you kill it to save a nefesh? It doesn't fall into the rules of ein dochi nefesh bifnei nefesh. Right? The betrefa, chayev chayev sha'ah, ein sheikh b'zeh mashakasav aramam sh'ein dochi nefesh bifnei nefesh. So this, lanyut dati, this is just a mistake. Because whatever the reason that a, whatever the reason that a trefa uh, is is not an nefesh um, and and could be nidcha. Even if you say that, you can't say it's because it's chayev is chayeshah, because we all recall that a goses, um, right? Whatever the rules for a goses don't apply to a a trefa. A goses is a nefesh for sure. It's resicha to kill a goses. So this is a, an unfortunate slip. Um, but the fundamental argument he sets up is right. You can see he, he's willing to say that a trefa is not a nefesh, and therefore you can kill it. You just kill a trefa to save somebody else. Okay, and then he says, "Look, furthermore, uh, furthermore, he says we have a um, we have a Mishnah in in Olos which says explicitly you can save a fetus, you can kill a fetus to save the mother. What's the difference between killing a fetus to save a mother and killing a trefa to save a shalem? Right? Halachically, it, killing an uber and killing and killing a trefa are in the same condition. Right? So what what matters to me here is um, his willingness." to remove trefa from the category of nefesh, that seems fairly startling to me. And now the question is, how broad is his definition of trefa? But also pointing out that he does this um, in what seems to me to be just a, a, a straightforward error. Okay, so how do we start doing this? We say, look, the Nodi Buda says that you write, right? the Nodi says, right? So we, th- we, we began by this, pointing out that the, um, the Nodi Buda says that he um, can't imagine anybody would say you, you can a trefa to uh, to save a shalem, but then right. So so um, Sternbuch says he was shown that in Truvas Beis Inspector that he argues with this. We have seen that other people argue the Minchas specifically. Um, I looked at the Beis Yitzchak and I'm not sure that's actually his position, but it didn't seem to me to, um, in the context of the Shir be worth taking the time to play it out. Although I probably should for myself, um, right? So he says that, but he quotes the Beis Yitzchak as saying it's permitted. And then he says, ah, but, but Rechaim Brisker, which is where um, I began the first day, says that the, um, the only reason you can kill the Uber is because the Uber is a Rodev, which would imply that without, uh, without introducing the category of Rodev, you can't kill somebody uh, to save another life, even if they're not an Efesh, um, which I think is a, is a misunderstanding of Rechaim's argument, which very much depends on the assumption that an Uber is an Efesh and so is a Trefa, but okay. Um, so he said, now look at the look at the Achiezer. Um, right? So the Achiezer actually the Achiezer in an interesting way reaches that conclusion. Okay, so in order to in order to kill a trefa to save a shalem, you have to find a way to construct the trefa as a as a rodev, which he does in an astonishing manner. He says Lafiza. When he don't he done. So in our case, where the machine is 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 intended to save uh, to save people for normal lifespan, but now it's been given to the trefa for the moment. That's an astonishing claim. Um, right, that if you set aside, I think he's arguing that if you set aside the machine for Chai Olam, then if you gave it to the Trefa, then you would be able to take it away again because the Trefa is really stealing it and the Trefa really stealing it makes it a Rodev. That's an astonishing claim. 
Uh, he quotes that the um, the Gra uh, says that you can be a rodef without intention, which obviously you can because of the uh, the category of an uber. Um, but one should be very careful because I think the Gra probably understands Rav Chaim correctly, in which Rav Chaim distinguishes between din rodef and shame rodef. And Rav Chaim says there are rodefs you can't kill, and it's only the combination. Rav Chaim Ozer correctly gets that, but I don't know if he frames the technicalities the way I would. That it's the combination of being a rodef and not being and not being someone who is retzicha to kill, that enables you to kill somebody who's an unintentional rodev. And a trefa would be in the same condition, but to, to argue that this is even unintentional rodev, as opposed to simply choosing to prioritize uh, one life over the other, uh, seems to be very difficult. Uh, it seems to be a very, very difficult claim that you view him as a rodev. Okay, there are a lot of weaknesses in our Sternbus argument. And the other day he says, look, this doesn't work at all. He doesn't like this right, now we're in C. Because there's a difference between an Uber. An Uber is not called a dumb, but a trefa is called a dumb. Okay, so maybe, maybe it's opposed to the Ramah's notion that you can't do nefesh nefesh. We're going to extend the category of nefesh to a dumb, and we're going to say trefa nikra, uh, trefa nikra adam, and Uber is not nikra adam. That that is um, controversial because the derivation for at least a late, you know, a last stage fetus. Shafeich dam ha'adam ba'adam the mayu shafeich. So the um, the fetus is defined as ha'adam ba'adam. So some people say, aha, the fetus is defined as ha'adam ba'adam. That means it's not defined as a standard adam. And some people say, look, it's defined as ha'adam ba'adam. So it is an adam, right? So you can play, work out which way you want it. I, I don't think the introduction, the introduction of the category has um, is overwhelmingly convincing here. I think that we're watching. And I guess that's the one of the major points I'm going to try and bring out in the context of the whole class is that everyone has moral intuitions and they play them out. Um, okay, and then he says, right? There's, right, there are people who think you can't save yourself by stealing. And even those who allow it as only because you can return it, not if it's not returnable. Therefore, he says, Right? And I think that the word misvara is a um, is a giveaway here that he's just not comfortable saying that you can kill it, that you can kill a trefa to kill a shalem. He doesn't see abortion as homicide in the same way as he sees trefa, and he doesn't. He's really uncomfortable permitting homicide in any way at all. Okay, but now he says, isurim." Even though in terms of Yisur, meaning in terms of whether you can violate Shabbat. So you can only violate Shabbat for a Pikuach Nefesh that is Lefanenu, whether it's an identified patient um, who, is already, who will already benefit from your Chilol Shabbos. This is the standard developed by the Nodah Behuda in an attempt to permit some autopsies, but not allow, um, is it called speculative autopsies? So the Behuda standard was you can only, you can only conduct an autopsy but, right, if there's another patient who has the same condition already present for you, and so you're conducting this autopsy in order to learn how to do the operation on the existing patient better. And that was a, an, excellent, an excellent ad hoc standard to meet the demands of the moment. Let's, let's leave it at that for now. Those of you who are interested, um, there, are shiram on, there's a, there are audio shiram on autopsies on, on uh, terrorleadership.org. Um, so he defines the Nebuchadnezzar says you, you can't violate Shabbos because there will be Pikuach Nefesh tomorrow. Okay, but here, 
that we're according to the uh, to the hospital regulations, um, right? What you're doing is you're saving, you're preventing yourself from saving a trefa chayisha in order to there, later later save chayolam. So that should be a violation of the fanenu. But he says if you're doing if you're doing this, he says lichora. That case is kimosh shnei cholim lefanenu chayolam chayisha devade chayolam adif. Even though the second patient is only showing up actuarially and isn't here yet. Nonetheless, he says, he treats that as the same as Lifanenu. Usvara, Zu, and this Svara that they're the same, um, right, he says that if things show up, the things that happen every day are considered just as if they're Lifanav. We found an example of this in the Chazanish saying something, um, saying something very similar, but he says that when the Nebuchadnezzar allowed you to conduct autopsies for a Chol all that meant is that the Chola has to be Matsui. Okay, as long as it's Matsui, it's enough. I think this is um, a pragmatically intolerable um, understanding of, or impossible understanding of the Nota Behuda, who's dealing with, um, with kidney stones, which are certainly something you have to know, right? That's a Matsui, uh, Matsui, Matsui illness. And um, so I, I don't think this could possibly be shot in the Nota Behuda, but the Chaznish says it. So one has to be aware that that allows the standard of Lefanenu to be um, expanded dramatically. Rather, right? other arguments that Lefanenu just um, has been um, largely eliminated as a useful standard because of universal communication. So, if there's even one case in the world, whatever information you're getting can spread to, uh, can spread to everyone else. But it might also be the right approaches to distinguish between that standard in the context of autopsies and in the context of uh, other cases. And I, I had this Shaila um, during this pandemic, which is what about people engaged in administrative um, distribution of masks um, and issues like right um, issues like that right do you allow Chilo Shabbos in um, circumstances like that which I think is very relevant to the Debutus question okay all right Sternbach says that if there are he says that you have to look at the case of of two people in the desert and see if this is all right that you can write that it, in fact it's all it's, it's true that you can if you have two patients in front of you that you can give it to the one who has chaye olam and is not a trefa, um, which, which we saw this, that, that the um, that Rav Shlomo Zalman learned from the prima gadim, and the prima gadim shows up in um, in many other people's uh, many other people's discussions of this as the source. He says lefiza. It sounds like his reading of the his reading of the sugya is we passing the Rabbi Akiva, but it sounds like that keshalokeh kitona mayim ena benogei elav. Um, so it seems to him, what about what should a third party do if there are two people, if there are two people in the, the three people in the desert, and one of them has enough, one of the, one of them doesn't need water for whatever reason, but there are two other people, uh, two other people who do need water, and he can either keep them both alive briefly, or he can keep one of them alive long enough to get to civilization. Um, so he says, So in that case, we don't have the Xeris Akasu. Rabbi Kiva relies that your lives come first. So it seems to him that the, from the reading of that sugya, that um, Rabbi Akiva says your life comes first, that doesn't mean that Rabbi Akiva thinks that any other standard is legitimate. He's saying that the standard is just here, there's an exception for you. So if that's the case, so there should be the third parties should always have to divide the water equally. And therefore, you should not be allowed to distinguish in terms of your resources between two patients, regardless, right, regardless of their relative um, medical conditions. That's a really interesting raya. Um, 
Okay, so he says is, but he says it's an astonishing claim. He says, So this is a, a wild argument that I'm not sure I follow. So he says, if they were both, if they were both in front of you, then you would have to split the water. But then the interesting thing is, but you can't split a respirator, or you can't split a ventilator. So what we, what do you do? Right, he doesn't really spell this out. But what do you do if there, right, if there are two people walking in the desert, and there's there's one thing available that can save, right, that can save one of them, and you have to choose because it's not divisible. So that's what he thinks the case of the ventilator is um, is here. And since he thinks that the the case, and so therefore he thinks in those cases, it's obvious that uh, it's obvious that you that you're allowed to choose. But if you have to choose. Even if we say that the default setting is that a third party should split the canteen between the two people, but if you can't, if you have an unsplittable canteen, so it makes sense to him that you should give it to the chayyolam instead of the chayyishah, and therefore, since the ventilator is unsplittable, therefore it seems clear to him you should give it to the um, to the chayyolam, and therefore, since he he sees the case where there's a statistically likely chayyolam willing to show up, therefore. Giving it to the chayesha person is the equivalent of actively, of actively choosing one party over the other. And if you're going to actively choose one party or the other, you're choosing the wrong party. Okay, that's a that's a, a very clever, um, complex argument, which um, you know really has to be really has to be evaluated carefully. Okay, so now he says, um, but furthermore, he says, because the ventilator applies to the hospital, and they say you're not allowed to use it except for chayolam, and right, you're not supposed to waste it. Therefore, it seems to me, at the very least, that you don't have to, you don't have to violate the hospital regulations and steal in order to save a yehudi trefa. Um, because right, we haven't found ever that we haven't found, we found no, we've never found ever that you have to steal in order to save somebody's life, even if you're allowed to steal to save somebody's life. Um, right, and even if you and even and if it's only permission, so maybe it's not even a permission in the context of trefa, and certainly it's not a chiyuv. Um, okay, right, so that's a narrow argument in terms of the, the theft theft of devices, which doesn't relate to the question of what the policy should be. Um, but in the end, it sounds like the the basic ground of his argument is that this is an unsplittable canteen, and everyone argues that when the canteen is unsplittable. That the proper solution is to choose the chayolam, as opposed to, I guess, the only other alternative, which is the two other alternatives. One is you could flip a coin, or you could give it to whoever shows up first. So here he says, okay, but we're not going to. He treats actuarial um, likelihoods as lifanenus, so there's no whoever got it first, and he doesn't think it makes sense to flip a coin when there is a rational basis for choice. Right? Therefore, he says, lemasa datino Right, so he thinks you should allow him to fulfill the, the hospital regulation, which is in fact he thinks what the Torah wants anyway. And certainly, however, so however he says, since the matter is not clear, and lives depend on this, I will wait to find out what other people uh, find out to find out what other people say. Okay, right. So the end, he's pretty comfortable saying that we treat this as if both parties, both parties are present, and since both parties are present. Um, he thinks that you can make a rational choice 
to choose one party over the other, even though if it were splittable, right? And this we go to the, in the medication case, it sounds like based on his argument, he would require you to split the medication to keep both patients or the water to keep both patients alive rather than giving it to one over the other. And again, it's a weakness that he doesn't spell that part of his argument out, uh, out well enough. Um, and there are a couple of places where, you know, the Rodef argument is, sorry, I keep doing this. The Rodef argument is um, really, really not, really, really weak. And the, just the rationale that um, a trefa is because of Chayesha is simply wrong, so far as I can tell. Okay, now he says there's something fascinating. He says, my, my friend, Aravislav Zilberstein, found a really brilliant way out. And I had thought this was Dr. Steinberg's um, approach, but apparently it's, he, at least he understands it as Rabbi Zilberstein's development. He says, why don't we just uh, attach all the ventilators to Shabbos clocks with appropriate precautions? And that way we can, right, we can, always, be sh- we can always fail to restart as opposed to killing one part to save another, and that will make life much easier in terms of uh, transferring it. But he says when he when he sent this to the, to the to the doctor, the doctor complained that he can't really do this because the relatives will see and they'll right, and they'll be and they'll be really upset. And meanwhile, right, meanwhile the the person of the chayesha will die, and he's afraid that they'll uh, that they'll accuse him they'll accuse him of murder. And then I think you know, it was a good point that you know that you can't you you really don't want doctors to be liable um, for following your instructions. And this is a point for medical ethicists also that. Medical ethics is not a the the internal ethics of the of the, the medical profession are not automatically recognized by law, and so they're trying to figure out what you can do right that will prevent legal liability. So he's also trying to make sure that you don't prevent legal liability. He may also have thought that this is a fudge and the Shabbos clock ventilator solution. Some people like me find um, you know, sort of morally terrifying that that should make a difference, and some people find it morally powerful. So you have to figure out which category you're in. Um, okay, so the doctor, but maybe the doctor was just telling him like that's not really answering the question. Um, so we, so now the, 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 we still have to figure out what happens if you really attached the ventilator to one patient. He's a trefa, then another patient shows up. Are you allowed? Are you allowed? To, are you allowed to remove it? So he thought that for chayesha de chayolam you probably would be allowed to because of rodev, which is a wild idea. Um, okay. Um, can, right, can you can you remove it or right even though this sounds like this feels like Ritzicha, and he says okay so this depends on the machlok is not or not and, and and right can you kill a trefa to save a to save a shalim at least in the context of rodei and so therefore he says the correct solution in such cases is just to set up the shabbos clock okay right if if right, if you've already if you have already attached the machine by accident to a someone who only has a chayesha because you thought they would have chayolam and now you realize it's only it's only a chayesha so attach the machine to a shabbos clock and then fail to turn on again okay i, I have to say i don't find it a terribly satisfying answer um but his analysis of rodef is um is valuable his analysis of the trefa issue is uh is valuable and um, right, his his recognition of the of medical medical risk is valuable, and his analysis of the his challenge to the um, in, implicit challenge that you have to deal with the fetus case when it's not considered rodef is a real is a real challenge, and his analysis of the two people in desert case and how it affects third parties, right, all those are very useful challenges. I think that it's a um, it's a valuable chuva, although and although the 
the fact that you can that you that you can allow the the hospital to proceed with this procedure is okay. It's, almost everybody will reach that conclusion. The use of the Shabbos clock in as a resolution in the cases where the machine has been hooked up to one patient. So I, I dislike Shabbos clock solutions, um, you, right? But I know that that's a matter of um, a matter of, of uh, at least taste or intuition. Okay, now we move to the Tzitzilyazer. Tzitzilyazer begins by saying, right? So remember, the Rosh book in the end is Pretty much what he says is, he thinks, essentially, if I read him correctly, you can kill a trefa to save a shalem as long as you can construct the trefa as a rodef. And he has a very, very generous definition of the category of rodef, although what exactly it is requires, uh, requires work. This is the answer begins by saying, It's the simplest possible. Okay, then he quotes a Red Baz. Red Baz uh, is a famous truva where he says nobody could, we, we could never compel somebody to allow X to cut, right? Say, if X says, um, if X says, uh, requires you to have your arm cut off to save somebody else, right? So we don't, we'll never require you to have your arm cut off. It doesn't make sense because Racha Darche Noam, you maskimim el That's a very interesting line, right? The laws of our Torah have to correspond to seichel and svara. So I have to figure out, you know, is this really like you know an, a radical denial of any notion that halacha can ever be morally counterintuitive? Um, obviously, he's going to have to say that there, are, you know, that it, that seichel and svara are culturally dependent, or else he has to have a much narrower definition. But that's the Red Baz's line about which said, where he says that we can't possibly obligate people to have their limbs cut off to save somebody else. And the Tzitzel applies the same line to the question of whether you can kill a trefa to save a shalem. So I have to figure out how much power does this idea have that you have to end up with a vision of halacha, which is maskim el ha-seichel and how do you know what the seichel and the svara are? Okay, but it nonetheless seems to him that um, that that you that you can uh, you can um, prioritize chayolam over chayesha when it's not in the context of killing, and he says this applies. The the, cat, the categories are chayesha and chayolam, not trefa, um, right? And he and he thinks that the definition of chayesha it makes no difference whether it's a day or two days or several months. Not at all clear where he develops the, the standard of several months from. Uh, he's already gotten you out of the category of trefa, so it can't be that he's he can't rely on the category of year. Um, he obviously isn't willing to limit it to goseis. This is a fairly astonishing line, right? That he just develops a um, develops a new standard, um, so far as I can tell, um, out of nowhere. Okay. Um, okay. Now he says now, but to re- to remove a ventilator has already been attached. That's considered killing the trefa biadayim. So you know he doesn't go for any of the any of the claims that remove that is only hasarat moneil that said the Rizal Menachemia said. And he says further, right? So it's also right, even if you right, it sounds like what he's saying when he says I said even if you could construct a plausible halachic argument that is just hasarat moneil, but it's wrong. It's obviously wrong. And by the way, also the relatives will object. But it sounds like he just he just has a deep instinct. That removing ventilators is fundamentally wrong. Okay, but he says, however, he agrees with the argument 
that when something is tadir yom yom, when something is is constant, that's kilofanayinus. So this standard of tadir yom yom, which they get from the Chaznish, is not necessarily applicable to our case, because would that mean you couldn't do this on day one of the coronavirus epidemic? You know, right? At what point, you know, the, at what point do we you know, categories of tadir halachically? But in thirty days, has to be established for thirty days. So either they're going to have to expand this category, or they're going to have to abandon it. I think they would just expand it. Okay, and therefore, since it's Lefanayinu, fine, right? So now, right, it says, don't tell me that um, that don't even don't even use the analogy of Tashavat Avida, right? You can still, uh, right? You you can still choose Chayolam over Chayesha'ah. And now he says something which I wish he actually hadn't said, but he does. He says that, uh, and as a sniff, um, right, in terms of Chayolam Chayesha'ah, you can also throw in the positions that say you can kill a trefa to uh, to say to save a shalem. Although he says certainly not in actually killing because that would be actually killing and you can't do that. Right? But he's still he's he's willing to allow the um, the the positions against the Nedibuda to sneak back in when it's choosing among lies as opposed to actually killing. Okay. Uh, he quotes the Primagodan that we've seen already before. Um, and his conclusion is Remikola more Nirelaniadati that the the hospital made did the right thing um, not to use um, Hospital, the right thing not to use, not not to allow the the um, not to allow the procedure to be used for another patient, not um, because of pragmatic reasons, as um, that you, that if you attach it to the trefa, the relatives won't let you not won't let you not use it, but rather because of moral reasons, because he thinks you actually cannot remove the machine the ventilator from even a trefa or anyone who's chayesha, but you're allowed to choose. So he thinks it's okay to um, because everything is lefaynu. So he thinks that you always treat it as if the patient with chayolam is in the room with you, and therefore the hospital's right, you should not attach it to a chayesha. He thinks the question of, um, of theft doesn't get into it, and then he adds some really interesting rhetoric. He says, You don't need to have any pangs, pangs of conscience about this. So this is not a... He thinks that the hospital in Johannesburg is not a concession, or a you know, or a way to say, oh, it's possible to reconcile halacha with this law. No, this is absolutely the right law, and he can take pride in this that you save, you save many Jews. Okay, great. Um, right, as we point out though, that you know the question is an ideal, uh, which assumes that all the parties involved are Jewish, which is unlikely to have been realistic. But okay. Um, since those are in a different um, in, in his second treatment. Quotes a Gemara and a Durham that I think I just think I have to mention in context, although in the end uh, I do not want to read the sugi that way, uh, in which Ula is captured by brigands who slit the throat of one of the people with him, and the brigand asks him, "Did I do well to slit the other guy's throat?" And Ula does one of two things: he either tells, says yes, and you should open him up wider, or he actually goes himself and opens up the the his dying travel companion's um, throat wider which can be seen as hastening the person's death. And then we have a whole discussion, right? So if you read the sugya, the ruler actually did that and that, his, and that his companion was actually still alive. So that seems to suggest that there are patients either that you can kill someone only as chayesha'ah to save your own life, or that there are people from death is better than life or some combination of the above. Okay, that's the, um, right? So he, he quotes the, uh, right? So the, the radical, the most radical interpretation of that, which seems to be offered perhaps by the Tiferes Yaakov, is that um, what you learn from the story of Ula is that in fact what Ula did was he killed somebody who only had Chayesha'ah 
to save his chayi olam, and this is the extension of the or the proof for the for the um, uh, position that you can kill a trefa to save a shalim, since he slit his throat. So this person actually is genuinely a trefa. So whether you could move from that to all cases of chayisha nunu. Okay, in the end, the the Sisalizer says that he thinks that this is just wrong. Even the Ferris Yaakov only said only said Efshri didn't really mean it lahalacha, and and in the end he says Vesem Yaakov They just get wiped out, and we paskin like the noted Buddha straightforward. Um, okay, right, but he says that you would you could still read Ula's case that there um, right, that if he's afraid of his own life, and right and death is better than life for the person whom the other guy shechted. That's why Ula allowed it for himself. It's really because, right? So that's a really interesting, you know, claim that once you say death is better than life for the other party, maybe there's an ex- there's an exception. But he says that's only. Um, but the, but this is even though he sets this up hypothetically, he says. But in practice, I just think that any attempt to learn anything from that sugya is wrong, and you can never kill somebody to save yourself. Right. That in the end is the. Um, right, that that in the end is the um, is the Sicilian's conclusion. He says some people want to prove from the fact that you're allowed to engage in risky operations. So isn't that sacrificing your own chayesha for chayolam? And if you can sacrifice your own chayesha for chayolam, and suicide is forbidden, so then why can't you sacrifice somebody else's chayesha for your chayolam? It's just a calculus. And so the Sicilian says that's ridiculous. You're allowed, the choices you can make for your own risk management are not the same do not tell you that it's necessarily the case that one life is more valuable than another. So that's really interesting. So in the end, he again says it's absolutely forbidden ever to, um, ever to disconnect. But he says, Misvara, right, he's very clear about this, Misvara, we should pass him like the Nether Behuda. Why? Okay, right, because he has this deep position that all life, even momentary life, is... But right is valuable enough that there's nothing which could entail, which could possibly allow you to end it deliberately. So it doesn't make any sense that, um, that even though they're chayesha, that you can that you can that you can end them in order to save someone else's life, because kol rega shel chayadam yekarhu aruch olam malay. Right, every 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 second of life is a full world, and right, all this all these right, lyrics you could always do you could always do tshuva. And the um, right, he has a way to get rid of the to get rid to get rid of the um, of the meiri. Right, maybe it's um, right. Whereas you're doing it for yourself, and if you're trying to save yourself, that's different than trying to save third parties. Fine. Um, right, and the um, right, and then he even the minchinuch distinguishing trefa and chayish ah because trefa is a technicality. Um, and in the end, he has a line that he is very fond of, which um, I am not. Um, which we get, uh, which is comes from Rebzevin, that um, people are not ba'alim on their own life, and so again, you can't make these kinds of choices, even if they volunteer. Okay, leave that be. Okay, um, right, um, and he says says again that his right his conclusion in the end is that there's no circumstance under which removal of a ventilator is called is caused um, is caused only a grama, rather it is the equivalent of simply killing by hand. So here you. Tend to think that he has Rav Zalman Nehemiah's shuvah in his hands. He's just not. He doesn't even want to mention it. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, and now he says, "Hinei lemadnu midivrei yadrama." The filu in pula tamata ba'ah 
im hasarat goreim chitzoni. And he says, you're going to tell me, but this is a grama, because all that's happening is you're removing an external force, the ventilator, you're not actually cause, doing anything that will cause the person to die. He says, mikol makom, im talich pulat hahamata matchila miyad im silo kadavra chutzetz. So, so long as the process of dying, and this is something um, that I have convinced at least Rabbi Wiener is very, very different than the standard. Rav Zalman the a standard that whether, whether the person dies immediately, this is the standard is whether the process of dying or the thing which causes you to die begins immediately with the removal of the, of the respirator or continues. I don't think it has to dafka begin. Um, and he thinks that's actual murder. So there's no way whatsoever that the Tzitzeliezer would allow removal of a ventilator under any circumstances. I think that's the, that's the simplest uh, rule. He would allow you to, and he'll accept the price of, of saying that never attach it to people whom you might have to, right, whom you might want to remove it from because, um, because he, he'll never allow removal. Um, okay, because anytime you remove it, that's murder. Okay, and he says, however, he says, right, last thing that matters in this what happens if the hospital is owned by the, the patient who comes in first it's only he says you know what uh, right? he says maybe we maybe we make the the right the canteen case so irrelevant that we'll say that even that a third party uh, would be allowed to take the canteen from one from the chayesha and give it to the person who's chayolam, and maybe the chayolam person could grab it from the chayesha person, except that might be considered meimit Um But a third party, I guess, if 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 they're just left to decide, right, that it belongs to one of them, but you're not grabbing it, I have to figure out exactly what the details are. But he's willing to allow in cases like this, like that, when it's really just a choice among saving lives. He thinks that ownership might not be the determining characteristic. Uh, although if the machine were attached, you can't remove it. But just because you own the machine, that would be a not, not be enough to require us to attach it to you. Okay, that's the end of, uh, that's the, end of that shuvah. The distinction between ownership and, and actual possession, I guess, is, uh, is important. Um, okay, and then the last question about how much do you have to give up? Right? So he thinks that for the law of the Talmud, uh, um, everyone agrees that you have to surrender surrender um, all your um, all um, all your money. But if it's not, um, sorry, but um, but he says, uh, right. So here's the right. So here's the question, right? In terms of lav shame, sorry. To the lav shame b'masa, do you have to do do you have to uh, do you have to agree or not? His conclusion is in the orha amur ani maskim odot hashelash nishalti lachala masav omer. That since the, the doctor is likely to lose his position and his salary, he doesn't agree to, um, to a particular rule about not saving somebody. So you're allowed to violate the Samuel Damriacha for the money and not to attach the machine. Okay. Also an interesting position. Okay. That's the end of the Siciliaser. Uh, things that we get out of the Rav Vosner, the Shevet Halevi. So the most important thing he says is. Um, you can't learn anything from the case of Trefa, unlike the Achiezer, because the whole Dean of Rodef, he says, is a Chidush. Um, so what, is that, um, what, is that, what does that mean, the whole Dean of Rodef is a Chidush? So intuitively, that you should have a Svara, which is, Ein doche nefesh nefesh. And now Rodef comes in and counters that Svara, 
and therefore, um, right, and the, therefore he thinks that you can't that you can't kill a trefa to save a shalem just because they're an unconscious rodef because the whole deed of rodef is a chiddush. I'm not sure he's right about that, but interesting there again, you know, that his notion of what's intuitive and counterintuitive plays in. Um, and he also says, and everyone, everyone agrees, Allah is you can be mechal shabbos on a trefa. So again, he also reads the the um, he also he also reads everyone, but the, but the Nodibu's position about trefa killing a shalem out of the tradition, even if you try and as our Sternbuch did to to connect with Chaim Ozer and say, let's create this some kind of rodef. So here's his outcome. He says, all this, however, applies uh, when both cholim are in front of us and machine hasn't been given to somebody. But to say that the hospital is allowed to be concerned for a patient, right, and refuse to attach it because of somebody who isn't in front of us, as opposed to the trefa chayesha is in front of us and you can extend his life. Therefore, he says, in that case, it's pshita the chayesha kodim, because the whole rule of Latamal Dam applies to the Chola Lifanainu. It's not just the Isurim of Shabbos, but the question of whether there's a mitzvah of life saving. There's no mitzvah of life saving for people who aren't currently in your in your parameters. And um, and there right, and and therefore he thinks that you that you have to give it to the patient who shows up and um, the Chora he thinks you can't remove it either. Okay, right. So he doesn't he doesn't ex- He's the, the only one who doesn't accept the Chaznish and says everything is considered to be uh, to be to be lefaino. But if they're both lefaino, right? So he says you can give it the Chayolam, um, right? And, it, and probably there are other rules um, it, because he thinks that Gemoshi is kol chayecha kodmin, hachanami is kol emacher linikdimas hatzala, kasher kasafti lomalo alpi mishnatene dehorios. Okay, so he in the end, uh, so he in the end thinks that. We don't distinguish between what, so we, we don't just say but otherwise it's back to endoch and nefesh and nefesh. What teaches you is that the rule endoch and nefesh nefesh doesn't apply to life saving, and now you can allow the mission hurryo since you have to decide if that's a price they're willing to pay in order to um, to allow other choices um, among them. Okay, that brings us to Rabbi Menashe Klein, who is usually not um, my favorite posik, and. He's not going to be my favorite postic this time either, but he does say things that I think um, that I think that have to be brought into the cheshbon. So the first thing he says is, So this is how he gets to the same solution as the Shevet Levi, but in a different way. What he says is, Pasking like Rabbi Akiva against Ben Petura. That you that you that you get to keep the canteen as opposed to having to split it is not ju- is not an exceptional rule of chayecha kodmin. It fundamentally teaches you that the Torah wants there to be decision procedures rather than um, right rather than um, causing two people to live chayesha only one person to live chayolam. That's the the first given right when we pass against Ben Petura. The reason we pass against Ben Petura is because. It's a violation of to cause the water to be split. Now that we don't have the water to be split, now we have to figure out what the decision procedures are. And he says, once we figure out what the decision procedures are, um, right? once we allow one decision procedure, your life comes first, we can allow other decision procedures. We don't have to leave it to a lottery. Um, okay, and therefore he says that since once we allow any legal distinction, I've seen a trefa and a shalim, we don't have to say that it's normally legitimate to... Um, to kill a trefa, we just have to say that since killing a trefa is taken less seriously than killing a shalem, so obviously the shalem comes first. Okay, and therefore the minchas chinuch is right. 
um, at least in the context of life saving, as opposed to killing one party to save uh, to to save another. Um, okay, right. That's the quotes the sources you would expect you would expect you would expect to be the case, uh, right? That is interesting. He has an interesting reversal of the Tzitzilias' argument. He says, "Your life is not yours, and therefore you have no right to your life." When God, when the halacha says that you need to save somebody else, and therefore he's willing to consider the possibility that the trefa is obligated to give the respirator to somebody else, right? And right, and he doesn't, and he doesn't quote the way that's unlike the Sisliyazer. He doesn't quote the Red Baz and say, "No, that wouldn't be drachah No, sometimes he's willing to he's willing to argue that there are people have an obligation to give up saving their own life for somebody else. If there are two people in the desert and one of them is a trefa and one of them is a shalem, and there's one canteen of water, the trefa should hand the water to the shalem. Okay, this is something that the Red Baz thought was impossible, and the Sisliyazer thought was impossible for two reasons. But the Mishnah Halachos says that's what it is. Okay, now he says, what's Chayesha? And some Akronim have said Chayesha is a full year. Um, and, but, it, uh, but it seems to me that according to this, we'd have to use the, the word trefa as a borrowed language because it doesn't relate specifically to people who have the conditions called uh, trefa. And he has a whole long discussion um, uh, about that. Um, he says, hang on a second, if that's the case, then we're just going to, everything's going to depend medically. Um, depending on right, what the medical condition is, and that seems to him unlikely. Okay, doesn't seem unlikely, um, right? At the end, he says, Since now we have no shalim thing, and he thinks, hang on a second, how could you possibly say that there's this dying patient, you're going to say, I'm sorry, we have to save the machine for somebody who's in yet. That doesn't make any sense at all whether halachically or legally, if that's what nimus means. But probably nimus more means in terms of conventional morality, I think, than in terms of law. Um, so it's just another instinct of, um, of, moral, of, right, of another example of moral instinct. And he says, right, because vada gam trefa kol rega shachai v'nachas ruach l'kodesh baruchu v'lakol panim v'bar mitzvot yeshiva olam. Okay, but now he says, after I say all this, Hang on a second, Rosh Hashanah Zalman said it was fine. Rosh Hashanah Zalman approved the, uh, approved the hospital protocol. And how can that be if, um, right, how can that be if according to him it makes no sense, um, it makes, makes no sense at all? Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't understand how Rosh Hashanah Zalman, uh, how Rosh Hashanah Zalman got to that, um, to that conclusion. Okay, he says, but now he says, we have another question is, what happens, if, right, what happens if we already attached it, which he thinks you have to do, and now the Chayolam shows up, are we allowed to remove it or not? So here's what he says. Um, that, not, that it's not only according to the Me'iri, who says that you're allowed to kill a trefa generally, but even according to the Me'huda, who hold you're not allowed to kill a trefa, and it says that it's incredible to believe that you're allowed to kill a trefa to save a shalim, and he thinks this is also davar nirezar b'nei hachamon u'drachar d'archei noam, and this is a violation of popular moral instinct and his own moral instinct. Nonetheless, he says, it seems to the only said killing the trefa is usher. But removal of a, resp- of a respirator, Nodibuda says, Nodibuda would be perfectly fine allowing you to take a respirator from a trefa and giving it to somebody else because he thinks taking a respirator is not murder. Right? In Cain Pashut, 
Hecha she'ena hora gedayim betrefa, elokeach ha'machona k'day l'hatzil ha'sholem, betrefa eschar sh'vameli yamut, o sh'lo yamut b'li mechon azu. Nobody would agree that then certainly you have to, um, right, you take, you take it from the trefa and give it to the sholem. Um, okay, and the, furthermore he says, I found, right, I found somebody who said that sometimes removal of the ventilator is actually for the good of the patient because it's just hasarat monea. But fundamentally his claim is, right, if that's the case, it must be the removal of the ventilator, the way he understands that case, removal of the ventilator is not killing. It's at worst a failure to save. And therefore he thinks that everybody can agree, even though he totally shares the moral instinct that you're not allowed to kill a trefa to save a shalem, but he has no problem with removing the ventilator from a, um, from a, from a, from a trefa for the sake of a shalem, especially, he says, if the patient won't die immediately. Okay, right, because all you're doing is removing, right, he says, because it's only if you remove what he calls natural air from the patient. That's considered killing, right? Strangulation is killing. Um, but not here. Here, right, you're just removing the machine that is pumping air in, and that's just Shevel Tassa, and that's not, and that's never considered murder, um, right? And that's the end of um, the end of his argument. Okay, so that, we actually got through all four, so let's, um, Let's sum up. Uh, except the so the um, the Sitzeliezer and Rosh Sternbuch in different ways both validate the hospital uh, protocols, as did um, Rosh Shlomo Zalman. Um, but they don't ever allow uh, they don't ever allow removal. The um, Shevet Levi um, the Shevet Levi does not validate the hospital protocol and does not allow removal. And the uh, Mishnah Halachos. Um, does not validate the, the, the hospital protocol, but does but does allow removal. Um, so that's right. I think that sums up the um, positions of the post we've written about this up until the coronavirus um, outbreak. And so that leaves us for tomorrow uh, with um, Rav Asher Weiss, Rav Schechter, and um, hopefully I will have thought of something uh, that I'm willing to say on my own account. Uh, by then, and then we'll see if, if um, we'll see if there's anything worth continuing, or, or we'll figure out what happens next week. Okay, that's the end of uh, my presentation. So now I'm happy to take questions. With the seats Eliezer and those who don't allow removal, um, are we excluding Gosais and uh, Maceir Monea? Is that no longer on the table? Um, well, I think that the um, the Siciliaser has a very high standard. Uh, in well, it's not. I should say there were were there there were a few. They're not allowing removal in any circumstance. They're not allowing removal for the sake of another patient, right? What you're asking is, are there cases where they would agree that you could remove it for the sake of the patient themselves? Right. And then it's plausible to say that if you could remove it for the patient themselves. Then you could um, then you could remove it for the sake in the case where there's a disin where there's a third party as well as long as you were clear that your decision was made entirely entirely for the sake for the for the sake of the patient right that's what right. I argue about brain right. death that in the case of brain death really often what you're doing is you're keeping the patient alive for the sake of a third party you're not killing them for the sake of the third party if it were, right for the sake of the patient themselves you would never have attached them to a respirator and that's um, that's that's Rav Zalman Chemi's case as well. The Sicilian has a, is very difficult to um, 
to to understand in that case because the case where he talks about removal of a respirator is uh, I think Michael Broyd argued to me I think uh, I think it was right correctly that it's it's an impossible case so I don't know what this what the standard would be about that because I really don't know what his what his case what his case um, is Rashal Mazalman has a much lower standard I think of removal for the sake of the patient um, but I don't think that's None of the patients in our cases are um, necessarily brain dead. It's very difficult in, from what I understand, any of the COVID cases to make a really powerful argument that way. So I don't think they were excluding it, uh, but I think every, I think that's an independent question for each of these postmates. Okay. Okay. Other questions? Um, yeah, this is Ari. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if, do you think that uh, whether um, removing a ventilator um, um, uh, is uh, is uh, is uh, or not, right, um, relates to whether uh, how you define death. So, for example, if you if you define death in the traditional way of, of whether somebody's breathing, then removing the ventilator immediately they'll stop breathing. That's immediately causing death. But if you use uh, more of a, a modern criteria like brain death, right, then Removing, then the person isn't going to die in terms of their brain right away. It'll take at least a few seconds um, um, before they'll die. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, one is that probably they won't stop breathing immediately because of the right. It's not. It's not right because because without the ventilator, we're not dealing with people whose lungs aren't functioning. Right, we're dealing with people who aren't getting sufficient air. So it's right. So it's very unlikely that there will be immediate cessation of respiration because the point of the ventilator. Right, that's not. It's not like. It's not like lung machines. Uh, so I don't think that's true. Uh, that's, that's true, really. Um, secondly, I, don't, I think brain death is used as an additional criteria for death. Nobody argues that we've made brain death the exclusive criteria for death, such that, um, such that, you, know, that you can't be considered dead until, until your brain is dead, even if you're... Uh, I mean, there's all, all discussions about at what point you become tummy. Right, you know, if both if both your uh, if somebody if somebody slits both your both your uh, your um, trachea and your esophagus, so at what point do you die? So how lucky you die immediately? We don't wait, you know, we don't we don't wait for the next step. So I don't think either of those are true. Um, you know, I think I don't I don't think either they're clever, but I don't think either of those are true. Is it your heart then, or I mean, because like somebody could stop breathing, right? But their heart is still beating for you know. Maybe a, a couple of minutes, or yeah. So then, you know, now we're getting into the whole morass, right? Is it cessation of respiration, or is it cessation, is it cessation of um, of uh, of cardiac of cardiac activity, right? You know, if you say cessation of cardiac activity, then we show you all the experiments with the frogs and saltwater, right? Uh, you know, I, I I proposed that the um, that the standard be cessation of effective of effective oxygenation, which is a, a combined circulatory. And, and respiratory function, um, but I mean, I, but I think that brings us, I think that brings us far, you know, pretty far afield. Uh, you know, I, I think so. You know, that, yeah, I've I've written about this in my brain death article somewhat, but I don't have, I don't I don't know that there's anybody ever had a single rigorous standard of death. It's really hard to figure out because Halakha has all these horrible cases of people, you know, people cut and you know, people sliced open, people with their with their throats slit, and you know. It's, because you might think, okay, good. What do we really care about? So there's obviously always going to be one big question, which is, uh, which is chalitza, 
right? The patient, you know, the person has all these horrible wounds, and maybe they're even tummy mace already, and they say, I want you to write a divorce for my way. <laughs> hey, you know, those are, that's where the, the cases will come up. Um, and so, the, you know, because halacha in that context desperately wants the, the person to be alive, um, so the, the way, the weight, the, the weight, the weight there is very much towards postponing death. Whether that would be true in all categories where death is relevant, um, as I say, like you know, the the really interesting categories in purely intellectually are the cases of 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 people who might be metame mate even though they're not dead. Okay. Okay. Um, good. Other questions. I'll just note that. Um... Ventilators seem to be splittable nowadays. Uh, that's true. That's true, right? That uh, Roshechter and uh, Roshechter and um, and and uh, Rav Asher Weiss have both, you know, have both legitimated um, ventilator splitting, and Dr. Prager right, was in favor of that. Um, the splitting is different. It's interesting because the splitting is not the same as it is in the water case. In the water case, the point is what we say by splitting is not that you're giving each of them a lower chance at, um, at, normal, at normal lifespan. Uh, rather, in the water case, we're saying is we're giving each of them a certainty of, of a lifespan we call chayesha'ah at the price of depriving, each of the, depriving one of them, we don't know which one, of chayesha'ah. The ventilator splitting means that we assume that each patient has a lesser chance of overall survival, but each of them has a chance at long-term survival. Uh, so it's interesting to see whether that's the same case or not. But you're right that uh, you're right that I that I, I set it up too facilely. Um, okay. Other questions. I'm I'm really I'm wondering is there really a difference in the case of the water between splitting the water and having them both die and just dumping it out on the ground and having it both die? I don't know. I don't see in the sugya there some indication that. Extending chayei shara. The point is that they don't want to see each other die, meaning they'll die at the same time. So literarily, right? You're right that it says al echad bevitat chavero, and I think I don't know exactly how the girsas play out, um, but let's assume that some version like that stays out. But the Chazunish, in contrast to Rechaim, reads that as a choice for two chayei shaot over chayolam. So I prefer Chaim's reading to the Chazunishes, but in the context of, um, of the halachic tradition, the Chazunishes reading, you know, certainly in the last hundred years, um, the Chazunishes reading has oh, 60 years, whatever, the Chazunishes reading has a lot of force. Um, and particularly for many of these, you know, many of these poskim who are writing, um, you know, either they knew the Chazunish or they're, right, or they're related to the Chazunish, right? So it, there's no way that they, that, that, they, that they can't see that as a reasonable reading of the sugya because that's how the Chazunish read it. Um, right, that 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 we choose two chayeshas over one um, over one chayolam. So I I think it's a good literary point. Um, I think it's a good literary point, um, but it's not. Um, but I don't, I don't think that it's a compelling point for an achron. You know, a, you know, a procedural question we should ask is. Um, so what we're doing when we say they should split it as third parties, what we're saying is, let's remove Rabbi Akiva from the equation. So really the. The you know part of the question that 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 um, both the um, the question that both the Chuvan Hagod and the Mishnah Halachos raise is how radically does Rabbi Akiva change our whole understanding of the circumstance? Does Rabbi Akiva come along and say Ben Petora is fundamentally right, but I have a limud, or does Rabbi Akiva come along and say 
the Torah is fundamentally wrong because I have this limud, and now where that limud doesn't apply, the world is totally changed. And even if you end up saying that the outcome is Ben Petura's outcome, you might still end up thinking that it's not for the same reason as Ben Petura, and that would be a way of reconciling this halacha um, right, with your reading by saying, yeah, you're right, but your diok is in Ben Petura, and once, Rabbi Kiva, once we accept Chayach Kodmin, then obviously al is not our standard, and even in circumstances where we end up splitting it, it won't be for the same reason. Okay, thank you. Um, other questions? Hi, this is Sarah. Can I can I ask a sure. question? Um, I'm curious about how many people used derachea uh, darche noam, and wondering if there are any limits to that. It seems like everybody uses it as a way to justify their own intuition. Um, um, yeah. yeah. I don't think, I don't think there's a better, there's a, yeah, I think that, um, I, I don't, I don't know anybody using it against what they see as compelling halakhic evidence. I guess that's what I would say. Is, I don't know anybody who's saying, well, you know, that's obviously what the, you know, what the halakh is if I were following procedurally, but morally it's impossible, so let's go home. So what they usually do is they, you know, they, they, they say as a basis for choosing among halakhic positions, like the Nodibuda must be right and the Mechuz must be wrong, or for uh-huh. dealing with situations for which there's no precedent. Right. Uh, right? That, would be, that, that would be my sense. Uh, they don't overturn halakha, but they choose among they don't overturn. I don't think they don't turn a lot. They don't. Over, they don't go against the the, the consensus of precedent. Uh huh. Um, but that's you know, that's a descriptive thing. It doesn't tell you. you know, maybe if they felt strongly enough, they would, right? But usually, what right. you do is in those cases, you would say is instead of going explicitly against precedent, what you would say is those precedents couldn't possibly mean that because. Right. I think that's the way you would do it. Uh, but I do think, as I argued in the, in the first year, that. Um, this is a context because everything rests ultimately on the svara, so I think that morality will play a stronger role in everyone. Moral svara is authorized in this sugya in a way that it might not be if you were dealing with other kinds of issues. Right. right. Okay, thanks. Okay, um, other questions? Okay, there being no other questions, uh, I will accept the motion to adjourn. No <laughs> motion. Okay, I will look forward to uh, hopefully to seeing all of you tomorrow. Uh, bye. Hi, John. Yes. I, 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 you should probably call me sometime. Yes. Yes, I owe you a phone call. I apologize. Okay, I do need to talk. It's very important. Okay. Thanks, Shirley. So tomorrow we'll actually start to hear what you think? Uh, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I will be prepared to talk about what I think tomorrow. Um, not promising yet, but that's, what, that's uh, my major project between today and tomorrow is to figure out whether what I think is, is already viable or whether I need more time to think. Um, so if that doesn't work... I already have answers written out for myself to the 17 questions. The question is whether that works out, whether that's a coherent theory or not yet. Uh, Okay. All right.
Okay. Thank you, everybody. See you tomorrow.